Welcome to Fright Night. She just goes a little mad sometimes. Wolfman's got Mars. They're coming to get you, Barbara. Whatever you do, don't fall asleep. We have such sights to show you. Hey everybody. What's up? Hello. Welcome back to another episode with the Jersey Dude. That's right. And that sexy male voice you just heard was our friend James, who has joined us yet again for another fun episode. <laughs> what are you laughing at? <laughs> Is it because I called James' voice sexy? I don't, know, yeah, I don't sexy? Know how to respond to that. <laughs> but thank you. You're welcome. Um, yeah, so James is joining us tonight for our very, oh, the Mel Brooks, <laughs> that's my Mel Brooks impersonation. You guys are really good. I should get, a, I should go pro. Uh, we're going to do Mel Brooks tonight. Yeah, we thought we would dip into horror yeah. comedy. You could dip into me. Wait, what? Um, you know. uh, do you want me to give you guys a little privacy? <laughs> like, for once, I'm going to take a step back and go, no, that's okay, Mel. You stay on that side of the room. I'll, I'll close my eyes and get your mouth. Wait a minute, even young Mel? Mel doesn't do it for me. Okay, but when I heard the story about him and Anne Bancroft, it like, I just fell in love with him. Did um, you? No. So sorry. Anne Bancroft was like a hot piece of A in the 60s. She was like this huge star. She meets Mel Brooks, who's basically like a little Jewish guy, right? And she, he makes a pass at her. And like the whole universe was like, what the hell's up with this? They start dating. They get married. They've been married ever since. And whenever people are like, we don't get it. You're this gorgeous movie star. Why Mel Brooks? She's like... Every day, I, like, wait for the moment when he walks in the door because I know it's going to be a great time. He makes me laugh, and it's, like, a party every day. And she's like, that's what's driven our love for all these years. Aww. Right? It I need to write me... down these dating tips. <laughs> like, she just said, like, she is... passed away, though, right? Oh, did she? I think oh. she did pass away a little, couple of years ago. I also have another really cute um, story about Mel Brooks. Do you know that every night, he and Carl Reiner get together to watch Jeopardy? And they do. It's fucking adorable. But the, the best part of the story is, because Carl Reiner was saying this in an interview, he was like, yeah, we have literally in all these years, Monday through Friday, we never missed Jeopardy together. He's like, but the best part is after Jeopardy's over, we literally put in a movie, like whatever's popular, and then both of us are asleep within 15 minutes. <laughs> and I was like, that's going to be all of us in yeah, your yeah, life in like that's 25 awesome. years. That's, that's my life now. <laughs> Pretty much me too. Uh, but like, that's my life goal. Like watch Jeopardy, put in a movie and fall asleep with my homies. Like what else could you possibly want in life? That sounds like a pretty sweet life. Yeah. So I think it's those two stories that are driving my newfound love for him. Oh yeah. No, I'm, I'm, I can definitely understand that. Yeah. So anyway, we're going to talk about Young Frankenstein, or Frankenstein, as it were. Yeah. <laughs> young young Fra Frankenstein. Frederick Frankenstein. Frederick Frankenstein. And uh, so yeah, extremely popular horror comedy, Young Frankenstein. And then we're going to talk about a more... What's wrong? Oh, I'm just cringing at Dracula Dead Alive. Oh, okay. <laughs> I was going to say, the more unpopular. It's essentially Dracula the two extremes of his career. Yeah, and you know, the part that bums me out the most is the fact that Dracula Dead and Loving It was his last movie that he directed. Like, I know he's still alive and everything, but like, I don't know. I just it, wish it was a cooler movie. It feels like it was, I'm going to give it one more shot, and then it just... Just things didn't click. Yeah, yeah, well, I agree. I, to me, part of the problem with that movie is that it's the story of Dracula. And the story of Dracula is a little bit boring. Like, it really isn't the most exciting of stories. Now, certain variations have 
been a little bit more exciting here. Like Dracula 2000, Jackie, am I right? Yes. (laughs) Yes, Marissa. Actually, you are correct. No, I'm talking about the traditional (laughs) Bram Stoker's Dracula. Like, uh, Coppola's Dracula. A little bit more exciting because you got sexy Gary Oldman doing his sexy Gary Oldman stuff, you know. Obviously, the Lugosi, like, made it what it was. But this one kind of just took all of the plot points of Dracula and was like, okay, here's, you know, we're going to go to, uh, we're going to go to Transylvania. We're going to sign some papers. He's going to come back to England. He's going to, you know, take Lucy. He's going to try to take Mina. They're going to try to stop him. Like, there was really no excitement. They did their best to put in, like, the comedy, but it was very, it was very slapstick. Obviously, that's his thing, but at times it almost, it just, it, cringy slapstick, it, like, it, it did, it missed the mark where Robin Hood met in tights, very slapstick, and it worked. This, it just didn't work. Like, there Not was, the there were now. so many jokes that just kind of landed with a thud. Agreed, Yeah. And it, it's hard to admit that because I think we all have like this nostalgia and love for Mel Brooks. But yeah, we might as well just dive in and start talking about Dracula first because yeah. we kind of did. Um, I agree with you guys. I think a lot of these. So uh, before we get into that, though, I want to kind of just remind everyone of what we're doing here because Mel Brooks really is like the modern godfather of the parody. And um, I did I did a little research. I know that's I know you'd never see it coming. So a spoof or a parody is a work created to imitate the original by means of satire, which makes perfect sense. And satire is basically making fun of something for the point of making some sort of nod or wink or point about a certain trope and the problems within that trope. Um, So a critic John Gross, (laughs) Gross said that the spoof works best when it is somewhere between the pastiche, which where it's like composed like the original, but it also is in the burlesque, which is like by definition something that adapts to the original but brings it to a low end or a low brow form. So, for example, like Laurel and Hardy versus whatever Universal Monsters fit that mold perfectly and were entertaining because they took it and made it way more low brow than it was. I think where Brooks went wrong with this one is that he failed to take the original and do anything that unique with it. So, given talking to your point, Jackie, I think you're spot on. Yeah. I think that he really like screwed the pooch on this one because I think he did he did spoof so well like 1968 he starts with the producers and he never looks back and everything he made in the 70s and 80s was freaking hilarious like I, I think if Dracula Dead and Loving It was made 10 years earlier it would have been fantastic it's just you have all this great talent Leslie Nielsen is Dracula it should have been a great movie mm-hmm I think you make a really good point there. No, I think you make a really good point there, James, because I think part of the problem here is that Mel Brooks' brand of spoof isn't relevant anymore, and it fucking devastates me to say that. Yeah, he, he, he pioneered it, but it's it's evolved so much that it just doesn't... It doesn't hold up. He, he can't keep up with that. It just... Yeah. It's not that his movies don't hold up, because a lot of them do. It's just this one... This one doesn't. Eh-eh. And so in 19, I'm trying to think of like when like Scary Movie and Shriek, if you know what I did last summer and all those, are coming out about this time. So people have already taken his form and evolved it. Plus, I mean, Leslie Nielsen was in all the Naked Gun movies and he's been in a lot of the other movies. I forget what other parody movies he's been in, but they were fantastic. I guess Mel Brooks tried to do that too and it just kind of didn't work. Yep. I agree. I think that the form had evolved past him, 
which is which sucks because he kind of invented it in a lot of ways. I think you know there were people doing spoofs before the 1960s, but he really bought it into the mainstream. He really took on making spoofs of pop culture. But then by the time 1995 rolled around, our spoofs were too far evolved. Mm -hmm. People weren't buying this particular brand. And the thing that makes me the most scared, and I'm going to throw this at you guys because I don't have the nostalgia for these films that I know you guys might. Does this even hold up? Either of them. Young? Um, Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Young Frankenstein holds up. I don't know why. I don't know. Is it because, to me, Young Frankenstein is is the first of its kind. I guess in my memory. Like a like a complete like not like a comedy horror in the sense of Beetlejuice, you know, something like that or Ghostbusters. Like to me like this literally is taking a story and and, and putting that like that spin on it. Like I don't know, I'm trying really hard to he- think if there was something before this in my memory. It was a, yeah. a, essentially a new variation of the Frankenstein myth without retelling it exactly. Like, the Frankenstein myth in that movie universe already happened. This is kind of, not really reimagining. If, if they would have done that formula for Dracula Dead and Loving It, it would have worked that much better. Yeah. He was telling a new story version of Frankenstein, but in Dracula, he was just kind of taking the story of Dracula and adding jokes and trying to be spoofier than he was before. And I think that's kind of one of the failings of that. Yeah. And my other theory is where they went wrong was that they spoofed Coppola's version. I think it would have maybe hit a little better had he went with Lugosi's version. Yeah. Because I think it would have been so retro, like a call to such an older time, that it might might have landed more. But then we would have missed out on Leslie Nielsen with a with really that. weird Dracula hair that That's he kept referring to as that a That was a bad joke. That's like I said, for, it, it's just, it's, it sucks that for like, there was that one good, but it was like for the one good joke, there were three that were just too but much painful. cringy. Yeah. yeah. And, and it's even made even worse by there is one scene in the movie that is Mel Brooks at his best. It is a great scene. It's when he's trying to mind control the two girls and he keeps getting them messed up. Like, yes. I have that, that as well. That is, that one scene goes in the top ten of Mel Brooks jokes he's ever done or put, committed to film. It's just, the rest of the movie was... Uh, you know what? And I will say that to, 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 to that point, the complete opposite of that scene where maybe they were trying to do something as funny, but it just didn't work and it was cringy. It was the scene where the doctor was meeting with, um, uh, Renfield. Renfield. And he I kept have that. The bugs. Mm-hmm. Like that was where it got cringy and it was just and the like. The enema part and everything. Yeah, yeah, like and the whole eating bugs and removing I don't know. Like, it, it was like trying to be, like it's funny because it's silly, but. Yeah, you can't like that just one just. That one felt that, that one felt funny. And also, for me, one of the travesties is, and kind of ruined the movie for me, was Peter McNichol. Oh my god, he's I a great guy. Oh yeah, I love no, him. No, he drove me. He was annoyed the hell out of me in that movie, and it makes it even worse. Is he's he's playing a possessed henchman in this. He was fantastic as a possessed henchman in Ghostbusters too. Good point. So you but go from um, to uh. you're right. He's so much better in Ghostbusters yeah. too. Yeah. And you also like my rating system. And uh. yeah, I do. It makes perfect <laughs> sense. Um, so well, I, 
Go ahead. No, you go. No, I was just going to say, I think that it helps. So in Dracula the Dead and Loving It, Peter McNichol has that upper crusty kind of posh English accent. In Ghostbusters 2, he's got that Eastern European accent. And mm-hmm. to me, that it, that in itself is just funnier the way that he does it. Like when he's talking about when they're like, hey, buddy, where are you from? And he's like, the Upper West Side. Like, <laughs> yeah, it's like there's just something yeah. just more appealing in that. And Plus, yeah. He's... He's just, he's very over the top in this and almost too over yeah, the top. He, he's flat out trying to be wacky and zany and he can't really pull that off. With Ghostbusters 2, he, he was essentially playing a normal guy, the straight man to yeah. Ackroyd's Venkman. Or Murray's. Yeah. Yeah, yeah no. Murray's Venkman. I don't, I don't it's disagree. It's been a long day. <laughs> I hear me, you. me no speaky words good. <laughs> me failing this? Um, I, I I definitely, I see it's weird. Cause like when I first started, the the movie first started, I was like, Oh man, I love all these people. This should totally work. Um, you know, it's his last film. It's gotta be great. And I was at first delighted with some of the, some of the gags. Like I have to admit, I laughed way too hard at the neck thing. Like the, like I, and again, that's way more amused than I should ever be. It it was, it was like, I, it chuckled, and then I'm like, all right, it went on too long. And then it kind of circles back around because it's like she's still going. Right. So, like, I have <laughs> marks here where I did chuckle, but the mind control scene is really one of the few that I actually Me, at. Well, that's – I hate to say this, but, like, I can count on one hand the times I, like, LOL'd at any of these movies. Either of them. And, again, I don't have – see where you are, like, Young Frankenstein in my head is the first spoof. I grew up on Abbott and Costello and, like, those guys. No. So, for me, it was like – I didn't really watch this movie very much growing up, and I don't have any nostalgia for it, so I kind of just sat there and was like, uh, oh, that's cringy. Like, <laughs> don't get me wrong, I love Igor, and there's some really fucking funny lines. Igor. <laughs> but, like, I, I mean, I, like, Marty Feldman's great and all that, but I don't know, like, I, I you're right, like, most of it was never a, an LOL, it was just a you know, like, I don't know. It's also one of those movies where, um, there's a lot of great lines, and you laugh reciting them to people after the movie. That's true. Yeah, you're right. Especially with Frankenstein, I think, yeah. more than Dracula. Oh, great. Oh, definitely. The other scene I really liked in Dracula that particularly worked for me was when Jonathan Parker went to the cemetery to stake Lucy and kill her. <laughs> I did enjoy the 50 gallons of blood that just slammed him in the face. And, like, Mel Brooks's character, Van Helsing, like, stands in the back, and he's like, oh, no. She's not quite dead. You'll have to do it again. I did. I'll be back here. And he backs away as he hits him again and even more full force. But I, I enjoyed that part too. And I did laugh at the the one line after that. And he's like, oh, you're not covered in blood. He's like, it's not my first staking. You have to know where to stand. Yeah. That part did make me. I did giggle <laughs> like that. Um, I also, like, I hate to say this, but these films are so fucking anti. Like the feminist... Like, the male gaze and the just cringy anti-feminist ideologies. And, I, again, I love Mel Brooks. Spaceballs is always going to be one of my all-time faves. But even in Spaceballs, now, they do have, like, the strong protagonist female. But, like, oh, God, there's always, like, boob jokes and, like, fucking girl. You know, I don't know. Some of it's so cringe. Like, I was watching this, again, like, watching it with your children is when you realize how little of it stands up. Because Molly would literally be like, why is that funny? 
I mean, I, I see your point, Sorry. but for me, Young Frankenstein holds up more because I saw it as a kid. I have fond yeah. memories of laughing at it as a kid, so it's it, it will always hold a place in my heart. No, I, I think that's fair. Like, I get the nostalgia on yeah. Young Frankenstein. I, I don't, and I liked it a little more. I <laughs> my one joke, I'll tell you guys. I bet you you can guess the joke that I laughed at for a good half an hour. <laughs> but, um, yeah, no, I, I agree. I think this one is just kind of, like, unfortunate to me. Like, it makes me sad. Dracula? Yeah. yeah. Especially, now, I'm assuming, this this came after Robin Hood Ben and Christ. Correct. Like, that blows my mind. Like, that we were at the, like, to me, Robin Hood Men in Tights is up there with Spaceballs. I oh, love yeah. Men in Tights. Men in Tights is a fantastic <laughs> movie. Yeah. Again, does it hold up though? Probably not. No, I think it absolutely. No, for us it does because we have nostalgia for it. If I showed it to my kids, they'd be like, "What in the end? Why are people laughing at a blind guy? Like, what is going on?" I guess right it depends now? on like which joke. I mean, the movie as a whole probably doesn't hold up. It's That's just jokes. true because there's like the topical humor of like yeah. the yeah. Air, or the uh, the pump sneakers <laughs> and and things well, like that. Well, supposedly they're they're coming back around again. Oh, there's like Bluetooth yeah. compatible, so you don't have to. Bend all the way down to pump up. <laughs> What's fun? No, like that's part of the fun is like actually pumping up your sneaker. It, I mean, it did nothing, but like you pumped up the sneaker. Man. And it felt vaguely tighter. It did. <laughs> it just cut off your circulation a little bit. Yeah, and it really helped me out sitting on the bench, giving me something to do. I was just thinking that too. I was like, man, I would pump those fuckers up on the bench like it was nobody's job. And then I'd get them all, I'd get all ready. Like I would like take off my warm up and like pump up my pumps and then I'd just fucking ride the pine all night. Hashtag bench. <laughs> I'm lying. I never even made it to the bench. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I was I was riding that pine. Um, let's see here. I don't know. I'm ready for Young Frankenstein. Let's yeah, move on no, we to can the movie that's right more on fun. So Young Frankenstein's 1974 Mel Brooks entry. Um, definitely, I think one of his most iconic ones. One of the ones that so Dracula Dead and Loving It was really trashed by the critics. It bombed in the box office. Young Frankenstein, on the other hand, was like. Really well respected, very well reviewed, um, and for good reason. I think in 1974, this movie was incredibly funny and well done, and it was an homage to not only the classic Frankenstein stories, but also I feel like classic Hollywood, and people really dug the jokes because of that. Yeah. You know? Plus, I mean, all, all the jokes, for most part, almost all the jokes landed and totally. got laughs. Whereas Dracula, it just, they just, the jokes landed with a thud. And, and with this one, it's 1974, so I feel like there is still that built-in audience that saw the original Frankenstein that this was based off of. We're only like 40 years removed yeah, that yeah. from the original Frankenstein, yeah, that's so I fair. think that some of the audience from that still could be with this movie as well, which makes the jokes mm -hmm. even better. And right. then, I mean, Gene Wilder... Oh Flor my God. Flores Leach. Oh, I fucking love her. Um, and again, it's funny because like this movie falls into the same trap of beating every joke to death, but it somehow works better. I don't. I just don't know what it was, what the difference is. So I'm gonna first throw off the table that the walk this way gag will get me every time. Yes. Like yeah. I don't know why, but fuck, will I laugh at that? Anytime and I mean that—that's an iconic joke. I mean that's what inspired Aerosmith. To write that song. Nuh-uh. Yeah. yeah. Like, as I'm sitting, when it got done, I went rooting through, looking up old trivia, and that was one of them. Oh my god, that's so awesome. That and the other fun fact is, you mentioned the Frankenstein movie from 40 years earlier. 
they use a lot of the same props for Young Frankenstein. That's right. They used yeah. the entire laboratory. Yeah. It was repurposed. Um, it's a fun fact. Yeah, that is a fun fact. Usually I'm the fun fact queen. <laughs> You're taking over tonight. Um, it's my title now. <laughs> this movie, I think, also just reaffirms that like everybody wants one of those like hidden bookcase secret passageways in their house. Oh, I know. I do. I'm going to have like five if I ever hit the lottery. Oh, totally. And I'll only tell you where two of them are. <gasps> I'll find them all. <laughs> um, yeah, no, and I love, I have to say, like, Marty Feldman to me really makes this movie. He, I adore him. Yeah, I mean, he stole every scene he totally. was in. Totally. And I don't know why he's so hypnotic to me. Like, everything he does is fucking hilarious to me. And I also can't help but think of, like, how many Igors have come in spoof form, ahead, like, that are based on him like I always think of it's funny because recently we watched scary movie 2 because I was like oh my god I loved that movie well actually it was very funny because Matt said that I should quote this I we were sitting around figuring out to watch watch and we were in the comedy section and I was like oh American Pie that's so lowbrow that's so cringy it's not even funny and I was like oh my god scary movie 2 that movie rocks and he's like really like you're sitting here judging American Pie while you put scary movie on and I love the only thing I love about that movie is Chris Elliott's performance as the butler please tell me you reach for the remote using your strong yeah. hand <laughs> let me I always and I always joke when I make mashed potatoes I'm like let me just pick them up for you like and we say watch out for my fanny in this house all the time and I just feel like so many of those iconic like jokey sidekicks in horror owe, them, owe themselves to Marty Feldman's performance. And, it's just so good. And compared to, to Dracula, I mean, that's a henchman done right. That's right. Yeah. You're very right. Uh, and it sucks because I love Peter McNichol and I, it's it's hard to like trash him. Also some cringy girl stuff in this one too though. Like when he's like, put your robe on. Be like, bitch, don't tell me my business. Fucking titties will hang out if I want them to. <laughs> <laughs> that was what I, that was the thought I had. I wrote that down. I was like, don't tell me. I, I kind of want to see your reworking of this. <laughs> younger, younger Frank. Yeah. <laughs> I also was very pleased that the AP psychology teacher in me was like, everything he says at the beginning is spot on for the, like, all of the brain parts and everything. I was like, hee hee, knowledge. I'm going to, like, show that to my class every year when we do the brain. <laughs> I was very excited. Um, and that, that scene also has one of the jokes I keep forgetting about, and I keep laughing every time I see it, is when he's going on the rant and he's got the scalpel and he goes to punctuate it but he accidentally stabs himself in the leg <laughs> which I, also that's one of the jokes i keep forgetting about the only reason i remember it is because i wrote it down so i'm gonna jump ahead a little bit here and tell you guys my all-time favorite joke from this movie and i rewound it and watched it twice that's how much it delighted me at the very end when they're sitting in bed <laughs> don't look at me like that and she's like wait what a minute if you gave him part of your brain then what part did he give you and then <laughs> <laughs> all of a sudden I just laughed for like 20 minutes I don't know why it tickled me as much as it did but everything about that scene delighted me again especially because it goes on too long like the joke like one of the things I love about Mel Brooks is that he lets his jokes go on for so long that it makes sense it's like the Peter Griffin like phenomenon like why am I still laughing at this yeah. it's, it, it was funny and one of the jokes that no matter how many times I see it I will laugh my ass off is putting on the wrist Oh my god, me too. This is so absurd. <laughs> you think it, you start out thinking he's gonna be like a, a nice musical, and then <laughs> and then I always get so worked up because the scientists they're supposed to be like medical professionals. Why are they such dicks? And also, <laughs> this is my husband's joke, so I gotta give him credit for it. He was like, "See, even back then, people knew how much kale sucked because apparently yeah. they're throwing kale at the stage." I've always in scenes like that, I've always wondered who brings fruit yeah. and vegetables to. We a, need to bring that back. 
Yeah. Yeah. Like when I go to my the like fall play for my school, I think I'm gonna bring tomatoes and kale. I'm also kind of setting myself up. I'm sure because the next time I'm on, if I'm doing bad, you guys are gonna just start whipping like heads of lettuce at me. <laughs> we should. We should travel with your fruit. Eye. <laughs> I know. I feel so bad when they throw things at them. And then the scene with the little girl in the blind bed also made me giggle quite. <laughs> the blind bed made me giggle a lot. Oh my god! So do you know why Gene Hackman was in this movie? No. Okay, so he apparently uh, is friends with Gene Wilder. So Hackman was like, "I'm Gene Hackman," you know. Basically, he's motherfucking Gene Hackman. He's like, "I I should try comedy." Comedy would be kind of fun. So they, they have him as the blind man in this movie because he basically wanted to try his hand at comedy. And apparently he killed it so much so that his scene ends in a like a blackout because he cracked that line of like, wait, where are you going? I was going to make us espresso. And apparently cast and crew lost their shit. And we're cracking up. <laughs> I, I love him. And I feel like his comedic his comedic value was more than solidified with Birdcage. <laughs> Fucking love that movie. And Royal Tannenbaum. He's great in that. He is really. I love that movie. I think he's even funny as Lex Luthor sometimes. In a, yeah, but in it? an unintentional way. <laughs> no, what? I think it's Superman 2. I think he's kind of funny in that one. That's fair. Yeah, I do. That's fair. The other, another note I have is the part when... Um, when Frankenstein is with the monster and he's like, this is a nice boy. This boy here, this my boy, this is a nice boy. I instantly grab my dog and smothering Dudley and I'm like, this is a nice boy. And he's like, oh my God, get off, get off, get off. And I'm like, who is my nice boy? <laughs> if dogs say stranger yeah. danger, you'd be barking it. <laughs> I mean, I've said it before and I'll say it again. The day that that dog bites me in the face, I totally deserve it because I do nothing but smash my face up against his face and like just smother the shit out of him. We the have day it on he, record. The day he bites me, I deserve it because I do. Like I always tell him that I love you, and his response to me is I tolerate you. So <laughs> <laughs> no, my dog and I have a very like very needy both ways kind of relationship. <laughs> like we are both equally as emotionally insecure and needy. Like that's what's <laughs> nice about having a female dog is that like I have built in my neuroses into her and it's great because yeah, yeah. yeah we're just both equally needy and yeah, yeah. whatever works when I smush my face on her she goes right back like we're like yeah I need it I need this validation of love like, <laughs> um, but she will bite my face one day she probably has already she definitely bites the girls all the time which is problematic but they deserve it half the time the other half of the time it's because she's stealing food and shit gets real yeah <laughs> as denoted by the Faint screams, screams you probably got here. Dude, in the if I had a nickel for every time that dog stole my children's food, I'd be. I'd have a lot of nickels. <laughs> I'd more food for the dog to steal. <laughs> that damn dog doesn't eat her own food. <laughs> I know. I'm looking at. A, I'm looking at a giant dish full of food. Yeah, you no, know what? Okay, it. that or pizza. What no, I don't blame her. What I mean, do you get it, girl. Yeah. Like it's my fault for feeding her pizza. I get that. I like. Uh, I do want to bring it around to uh, Inspector Kemp. Oh, the fucking... The physical comedy of Inspector Kim. <laughs> I enjoyed it. I did. The hand coming off at the end and just... Uh, uh. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I don't... I mean, I don't have many other notes on these films, though. Like, I feel like it's very... It is what it is. I, I mean, it, I just kind of wrote down, like, the, like, a lot of the jokes. Like, one of the funniest running jokes is Igor's hump keeps moving around every scene he's in. <laughs> yeah. My favorite is when he's like, I can help you with that. And he's like, what are you talking about? Well, <laughs> I love that part. 
<laughs> and when he's reaching through the mail slot to unlock the door, and he's opening the door, and then he startles himself with his own hands. Like, <laughs> I did laugh really hard at that. A lot of the things in Young Frankenstein are creatively stupid. Yes, yes. Which is that very low, it's like highbrow. It's like, wait, it's, Mel Brooks had a quote for it. I'm sorry. It's well thought out dumb jokes. Yeah, Brooks calls it high quality, high quality low comedy. He, he, like yeah. he's the grandfather of gross out physical humor like he really paved the way for all of the spoofs to come after and and brilliantly I think <laughs> what do you laughing at? I'm just thinking to remember the scene when he's up tying the kite off and they're yelling at him and then he just pops up next to him and he's like I came down <laughs> I do There's a, there are a lot of good gags in this one You're werewolf right. where there werewolf their castle <laughs> why, why are you talking like that you don't want to do this? No. This is what you're going for? Um, I don't want to end the episode without, even though her appearance in the movie was brief, Madeline Kahn. Oh, as totally. always. As always, Madeline Kahn. Her scenes were all hilarious. And also her scene with Iger when he just starts biting the mink. He's <laughs> just, <"Arr, laughs> stop it. And I do like, I laughed pretty hard at the scene at the train station, especially when she coughed at the smoke. I don't know why. It just made me giggle. Every time he goes in for something, affection. No, not the hair. The nails. And again, like a, hat, like a part of me was like, oh, that's, that's offensive. And then I was like, no, it's funny. All right, girl, you take the bags. All right, you take the blonde one. I'll take the one with the toy bin. <laughs> or like, the part where he grabs the bag and then he can't lift it, so he takes the little one and walks off. <laughs> Everything about it. It's nuanced, yeah. It's just, it's the timing is right. And I, I, I'm talking about comedic timing. But then also timing, just to touch in history, you know, this is 1974. We, you know, Vietnam War is... Yeah, things are dark. You know, like, this is yeah. the end of the Vietnam War era. Mm -hmm. So, like, this is something that we, as a country, are desperate for. Like, it doesn't matter if it's lowbrow. We need to laugh. Because shit has been getting real for way too long. And I think this is... This is something that the country needed. I, I agree. I think that you're right. Looking at it historically, I think we need, like... We needed the levity. Yeah, and I think he, he did a good job with a lot of his films of putting them out in a moment where we needed to laugh, and that's part of the reason why they hit so well. I agree. Look at you. Anything else? Yeah, like I said, I'm, I'm kind of with James. You've got more than... I, I mostly just got absorbed into these movies, so <laughs> if you want to... Any of your plot points? Oh, no. These are all just basically jokes. Jokes. <laughs> just rehashing. <laughs> and, and I, 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 I guarantee down. you, I think three quarters of them are Igor. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> When they're going into the lab for the first time, hearing the music, and it's like, wait, it might be dangerous. You go first. And then he just flips around right behind them. <laughs> I like that part, too. How many times has... Now, I don't know. Actually, this is like a... I don't know what came first. The whole idea with the Abby normal brain. Because I feel like I saw that in Looney Tunes commercial, or Looney Tunes episodes, but I don't know what... Which one came which first. Which one came first. But still, it doesn't matter, because the joke always works. When there's an Abby normal brain, it always works on me. Yeah, me too. That's like the walk this way. It's always going to land yeah. for me. <laughs> I have the Abby normal brain. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. I did love the brain scene. Um, yeah, so, I mean, we don't have that much to dive into here. I think you're, you're either a Mel Brooks fan or you're not. I think these movies, unfortunately, I worry that they're not going to hold up as well. Um, I know that my kids thought Spaceballs was hilarious, mostly because of all the lowbrow humor. But um, I do think as spooks continue to evolve, we have a lot of credit to give to Mel Brooks. 
Yeah, and I also think the spoofs are going to, they tend to fade in and out every few years. Very true. Very true. And I think when they come around, it's because we need a break and we need somebody to point out how stupid all the tropes are. And they will never be as great again because of poor Leslie Nielsen. Aww, Rest in peace. I know. I love me some Leslie Nielsen. I, I watched Naked Gun again a few weeks ago and it still holds up. It does. Minus one big glaring flaw. Of O.J. Simpson. Oh, yeah. I was like, wait, which one? Minus <laughs> one glaring O.J. Simpson. Yeah, that's that's very true. Um, all right. Yeah, you want to take it home? Yeah, sure. So thank you guys for joining us on this Mel Brooks episode. Um, we hope you enjoyed it. Don't forget to check us out on social media. Just search Jersey Ghouls and you will find us there. You can find our podcast on your favorite podcast app. And on our website, jerseyghouls.com, you will find our podcast, our blog, movie reviews, and all-around good times. And uh, if you are looking for more interesting podcasts on horror, please check us out over at misonscream.com. We are now on iTunes and Google Play and all kinds of other devices but myself and my partner Katie will talk about how horror is framed by the society that it is placed in and we wax on all academic and philosophical about that kind of stuff so if you are interested head over to misonscreen.com and check us out and James thank you so much for joining us thanks yeah. for having me thanks for being and on. as always I'll go back into my room and eat trail mix and until you guys need me again and just knock the dust off and Yes. I'll be here to bring the show down. <laughs> nice. Thank you again. All right. Good night. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. You're listening to the Geekscape Network.